I love sharing art on social media. I love how that leads people to grow and connect and sharing your work. But I also think that it sometimes has a pressure to post finished work and to post consistent work that is sort of like within your your brand, um, so to speak, which is the term I hate. But it's like, I think social media forces us to present ourselves in that way. And that is a very, that is very antithetical to growing as an artist. And so I always, for young artists, I think it is like totally fine to post what you're proud of online, but also recognize there is a lot of value in doing a ton of drawings, none of which are Twitter worthy. Hey everyone, I'm Jared Krasoska, and I'm so excited to be bringing you Molly Ostertag's origin story. Uh, Molly is so incredibly talented and she splits her creative time between graphic novels and animation. And it's fascinating to, to see like what overlaps and what is very different between those two mediums. Molly Ostertag started her graphic novel career with The Witch Boy. And if you haven't read that book and the subsequent sequels, it's about this boy named Astrid. So Astrid lives in this contemporary magical world in which boys do warlock stuff and, and women do witch stuff. But Astrid knows he was meant to be a witch and he has witch powers. And I don't want to give away anything about the book. You have to have to read it. Also, Molly Ostertag's other book, The Girl from the Sea, also, like The Witch Boy, these books are like contemporary fantasy that centered queer characters who have these magical powers. And I'm so excited to talk to Molly. I first met her some years ago when her first book was debuting at Comic-Con. And she's a delight and she's an incredible talent. And here she is. Origin Stories with JJK. Before we get into today's comics conversation, Origin Stories is sponsored in part by High Five Books, a beautiful and incredible indie bookshop here in Florence, Massachusetts. Check out studiojjk.com forward slash origin stories for links to buy our guest books from this fabulous indie. And while you're over on the High Five's website, check out their curated list of book recommendations. Truly High Five worthy. Okay. On to my chat with Molly Knox Ostertag. How are you? Hello. Oh, I'm good. How are you? I'm well. I'm well. It's so good to see you. It's good to see you too. This this podcast <laughs> all about tracking how folks went from from being kids to being creative people now who are working in comics or animation or other visual storytelling. So I'm going to lead with just one question, and and that is, what was your world like? when you were a kid? Yeah, I, I love that question. I'm 30. I was born in 1991 in upstate New York. And my world was very, I was, a, I was a very nerdy kid, as a lot of us were who were in this industry. My house was like in the woods. And so I spent pretty much all of my time like in the forest. I was a little forest child. And I really just, I never had a ton of friends, but I did just love to, like my two passions were reading YA fantasy books and running about in the woods, kind of acting out adventures. And that was kind of like where I found myself. I sort of realized later that a lot of my books are about going into nature and finding something about yourself while you're there and kind of realizing that that was like very much my childhood experience. So, so yeah, that was kind of, that was kind of what it was like. I was born, you know, comics were not really, comics were just superheroes. I kind of missed the the manga boom that happened. I sort of, for whatever reason, was just like in my own world and didn't realize that that was happening, even though a lot of people my age got into manga at that time. So I really didn't read comics for, for 
for most of my life when I was a kid. And it was really just all about these excellent young adult fantasy books that were coming out at the time and kind of wanting to live within them and wanting to find, find a way to get into those books in some way, be that writing my own books or running around in the woods with a stick pretending it was a sword. Oh, that's odd. That makes total sense. That makes absolutely yeah, yeah. <laughs> very little has changed. <laughs> I know. Well, isn't it funny how sometimes, you know, even when we're writing fiction, we look back at our work and go, oh, now I get me. <laughs> like, yeah. Like, like somehow putting words and pictures on our pages ourselves, you know, we can do with this, like what years of talking to a therapist could do to help us like reflect back and understand our path. So, but what, what, what books yeah. were those? What were those books that you were reading? My my big loves, I really love Tamara Pierce. She wrote these like really fun, she's very prolific and she wrote a ton of books about like female warriors and female knights and magic and dragons. So that was really delightful. And then I loved classics like Diana Wynne-Jones, Ursula Le Guin, Diane Duan, the So You Want to Be a Wizard series was one of my favorites. Yeah, there were just so, so many. Oh, Animorphs. I was a big Animorphs fan. There was there was so much coming out that was, I feel like it really was this like very golden age of of these kind of like really readable theories for for kids. And especially like there were so many things with like like strong female protagonists that I I really connected with and like was so inspired by. Yeah. So that was a that was a those those are all really close to my heart. And those are all books that, you know, they're not illustrated, you know, other than some of them might have had photos on the cover or photo illustrations. So how did art intersect into the fantasy novels you were reading? Yeah, you know, I think I, I was really happy to draw the art myself and to kind of provide the illustrations. And yeah, I, I, I think every kid starts by drawing like it's a very natural thing that all humans do. We all kind of want to see the world and then interpret it through lines into, you know, put it on paper or draw it on the walls or whatever. Like that is something that is is very, very old and very primal to humans. So I always drew and I think I was just really lucky. My parents really encouraged me to keep drawing. One of my, my great grandfather was a professional illustrator. So it was kind of like knowing that that was a thing that people could do was really cool. But yeah, I just, I just kept drawing and never stopped. And it kind of was always a part of you know, writing these stories and then doing illustrations to kind of tie in, sort of like round out the fantasy worlds. They were they were very, very linked for me. And so when I found comics in high school and kind of found some comics that I was actually interested in reading because I wasn't really into superhero comics, the one I realized comics could be more than that, it felt like such a natural medium for me because it was like, I've always loved writing. I've always loved drawing. I've really always just loved storytelling. And so it's kind of just what tools do I have at my disposal to to tell these stories? What kind of illustrations did your great grandfather do? That's fascinating. His name was Carl Berger. And he actually he did. It was like wildlife illustration. So he was like really, really good at drawing animals and nature. And he illustrated the original Old Yeller books. Um, Whoa. Which is like the claim to fame. Yeah, I know. It's oh, so cool. <laughs> that is beautiful. See, see, here's the thing. Yeah. When would that never come up in like the 20 minutes we have waiting in line for coffee, the San Diego Convention Center? That is wild. Did you, did he pass before you were born? Yeah. No, I never met him, but we had a a few of his pieces. I have like a desert scape that he drew on my wall. But yeah, yeah. Especially when I think of, you know, a great grandfather who was an illustrator and there is like printed books fully available, like your generation must be one of the first where like you could have a great grandfather, like, you know, my great grandfather, because I'm I'm 44. So my great grandfather, like, you know, like cars weren't around. So was that through your mom's side or your dad's side? 
Yeah, through my mom, through my mom's side. My mom's family definitely was very like New York literary kind of family with like a lot of connections to like the New York literary scene. And so, yeah, it was like very cool to I think it was like an incredible, incredibly huge privilege to just to understand that that was a world that you could enter. Yeah. To understand that you could, you know, books are not just these things that appear. They are things made by people and illustrations and books are illustrated by people and there's editors and agents. Like, I think it was an immense privilege to, like, understand that at an early age and have that kind of access. Well, you were aware of that, but it's not like you were able to ride the coattails of your great grandfather publishing Old Yeller to say, like, oh, we need to we need to meet with a great grandchild. <laughs> oh, yeah. No. <laughs> so, yeah, so clearly, like, obviously, that is a total privilege to understand that and understand how the business works. But walk me through, like, you know, you're in high school. Like, tell us a little bit about your teen life and then like how that projected you, catapulted you into like the next phase of your life. Sure. Yeah. My my big teen thing that I did. So I was I was a very nerdy kid. And like I I think like probably a lot of my readers was like really socially isolated um, when I was a younger teen. And I found this live action role playing summer camp that was, again, very nerdy, but full of people like me. And so I thought was like a really important moment in my life because it really kind of like showed me that there were other people out there who were interested in these things. And also kind of, you know, it's LARPing, it's pretending, it's performing, it's putting yourself out there in a way. It's like role playing. And so I think that kind of helped me realize I did not have to be, I did not have to act as shy as I felt. And so that that was just like wildly helpful for me, kind of like getting older and like pursuing things that I wanted to do. But yeah, in, in high school, I discovered books like The Sandman. That was like the big series that really launched me into like understanding like, oh, comics are something that you can tell any story in and like mythological, dramatic, interesting stories like the, like the Sandman series. Um, that was really inspiring to me. But yeah, I went to college. I went to college for a year for creative writing, actually. And I just found that I kept doing like the prose assignments. I kept wanting to make them into comics. I kept kind of, I didn't want to throw away that that skill that I developed. And like, it's funny, I was actually home recently and I was looking at some of my artwork from that time. And like, especially compared to like kids now, like you see incredible 17 year olds on the internet with like such good skills. Like I was not a very good artist. Um, like I cannot emphasize enough how like I had a very weird style and like was not very good at drawing. And like, I look at like a lot of my peers work from that age and it's so much better than mine. But I knew that I really wanted to tell stories and something I really love about comics is that you do not need to be the best artist in order to tell a story. You just need to be able to draw it and put it down on the page. Like, I feel like my skill was was in telling those visual narratives. And so after a year uh, trying to do creative writing and just I was at like a liberal arts school, it felt a little homogenous. It felt kind of isolated. I'd, I'd grown up in the woods and the school was also in the woods. And I so I, I kind of wanted to like be around more people. So I moved to New York City and went to the School of Visual Arts and did their cartooning program. And so that was like a really fun, both like the experience of studying comics and having teachers who were professional cartoonists. And then like, I worked in the library. I got, I sort of like shelved books and read comics all day, which was really helpful. And then the peers I met there and just being in a city and being in this like huge metropolis full of like art and art exhibits and other people, those were all really, really kind of crucial to like starting my career and starting to realize what I wanted to do. You bring up a, a really, really good point, Molly, in that these are two very different skills. Like one is, you know, being a drafts person who could make a piece of art that 
has a particular art style that looks like what you're wanting it to make it to look like. And then there's another skill, which is being a visual storyteller, which is understanding how to take your visuals to tell a clear story. And I think it's important for young artists to understand, too, where, you know, there's and there's always going to be somebody who can, quote unquote, draw better than you can. Right. And I think that oftentimes we're surrounded by adults or peers who say, oh, wow, like, look how good that person can draw. It's almost a photograph. And it's like, then he's making a photograph. Like, but it's like, like, show me the world in a different art style that that interests me. And so so when you were in college, tell me about what that cartooning program was like. Like, did you have to still do life drawing and stuff like that? Or did you go right into, you know, learning about panels and word balloons? Yeah, we did. uh, Yeah, a lot. I think the first year of art school for everyone is like basics. And so a lot of life drawing, like six hour life drawing sessions, which were really intense, but also taught me to really focus in a way that I never had before. And yeah, the first year was like, we did sculpture, we did oil painting. And that was kind of fun. It was cool to do things like oil painting and start to figure out, like, what am I interested in here? Like, like in these different mediums, what can I find that makes you know, I'm not an oil painter, but what can I find that makes this painting feel like I did it? And so, yeah, that was that like a lot of art history. That was just all like really sometimes annoying at the time. But when I look back, it was really, really good at kind of building up my skill set. And then, yeah, in the next couple of years of art school, we got into more specific comics. We would either have like short assignments, like do a two page comic on this theme and bring it in and we'll all talk about it. Or like, over the course of the semester, we're making a 16 page mini comic and we're going to go through that entire process. Yeah, it was it was interesting. It was interesting. We had a lot of like professional cartoonists, some people from superhero comics, some people from graphic novels. And everybody, of course, has their own process. And you, sometimes their information is wrong or it doesn't work for you. Like yeah. I definitely got some you know, weird information about digital art that did not turn out to be useful. Um, <laughs> so but that, I think that's an art school thing. Yeah, honestly, the most helpful thing was getting to meet my peers and getting to see what other people were doing and getting to read. I, I just read so many graphic novels at that time and more than I more money, more than I do now, unfortunately. But I just like absorbing so much and just trying looking at them and trying to figure out, like, why does this work? How did this person draw this? How how like what in this face is conveying emotion. It, it was just, it was, it was really, really helpful. It was just like this big period of like experimenting and absorbing a lot of stuff. And it was funny because art school, I always kind of had this, I'm pretty, like a pretty directed person. And I always was like, okay, I'm making this work. Is it for my portfolio? Can I make money off of it? Yeah. Like what's, what's my career path immediately? And so I get a lot of angst about doing those kind of more experimental projects. Cause I was like, this is not me. This is not helpful. But when I look back, it was really helpful. And when I look back, it was kind of like almost as soon as I graduated, like I, I was like, what's my art style? Do I like lines? Do I want to do lineless stuff? Like, is it more cartoony? Is it more realistic? Like so, so much, so much angst and so much worrying and stress for like all four years of art school. And then as soon as I graduated, I kind of was like, oh, this is what's natural for me. This is what I want to do. But finding that was really informed by the process of experimentation. Yeah. Yeah. Again, like I think art school, again, it's a huge privilege. College is so expensive. I got a big scholarship or else I could not have like afforded to go to it. And people always ask, like, do you recommend art school? And I I do think like if you have to take on tremendous debt to go, there are other options. But I would say no matter what you do, 
if you are not going to art school, that is okay. But like absorbing things from real life, absorbing art in your medium, absorb reading comics, reading graphic novels, reading old comics and reading manga and reading things from other countries. And then also stepping outside of that and watching art films and going to art museums and just allowing yourself to be inspired by that. That is like, that will give you a similar experience to art school if you really allow yourself to experiment. And it is really worth it. I could not agree with you more. You know, so much of what we're talking about echoes, I, I so connect with like, having to learn those very basics was so frustrating. And I was just so eager to want to draw comics. Yeah, but it's important. It's like you have to, you have to, and it's why they call it the foundation year. You have to learn the foundations. But I think the most important part about going to art school was having those peers, which yeah. if you decide not to go to you know, higher education and, and, and definitely like really no need to take on all of that debt, having a peer group is so important. And that's, I, mean, I have a peer group of folks that I rely on. I know you do as well. And that, that peer group is so important. And, and a peer group, when you're in college and you put stuff up, everyone's not there to tell you how great you are, right? Yeah. They're there to help you learn like what isn't working in your piece. So, so to surround yourself by people who are going to give you an honest opinion, right? Yeah. 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 And the value of, of making work that He's not representative of you that I, I think I feel really lucky. I didn't really start a social media presence until maybe like my junior year of, of art school. And I feel lucky that that wasn't expected of me earlier. I think that maybe some people in my my like peer group were already like posting on Tumblr. That was like definitely the place for artists at the time. But I it, it wasn't as ubiquitous, I think, as it is now. And like I, I, I love I love like sharing art on social media. I love how that leads people to grow and connect and sharing your work. But I also think that it sometimes has a pressure to post finished work and to post consistent work that is sort of within your your brand, um, so to speak, which is the term I hate. But it's like, I think social media forces us to present ourselves in that way. And that is a very, that is very antithetical to growing as an artist. And so I always, for young artists, I think it is like totally fine to post what you're proud of online, but also recognize like, there is a lot of value in doing a ton of drawings, none of which are Twitter worthy, or you can still post them and then they might not get responses and that's fine too. Like it, you yes. are growing, like that is the foundation you are growing. I do so much art that I don't share um, because it is, it's growth art and it's, it's evolution art. And you, you really, really need to do that. You cannot, you cannot go into every piece thinking this is going to be finished. This is going to you know, get a bunch of retweets like that. That can't be your motivation for every single time you sit down to like put pen to page. Oh, and I'm I'm like a full on grown up with published books. And I have to remind myself every day, Jared, your self-worth is not however many likes <laughs> or shares or comments. But psychologically, yeah. that's what these apps want, right? Like they're monetizing our attention. And I think what's yeah. so important to just grow and 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 experiment and that. You can fill a sketchbook and not share it with a soul, yeah. right? In person or online. So I'm interested then you graduated then you, and you said that you were able to really find yourself after college. Like, what was it like for you? Like, did you move back home? Did you move to an apartment with some friends? Like, what was the next step in your journey? Yeah, I was in, I, I sort of lived in apartments with friends for, for most of college because the SVA dorms are pretty crazy. Um, <laughs> that was just like a crazy situation. So yeah, I stayed in the city. 
I had gotten an internship at a little animation studio in New York, like a ad animation studio. And so I got, I did like some freelance work there. I got a book deal with for seconds doing um, Shattered Warrior, which was like a book that I, I did not write, but someone else, someone else wrote it and I drew it. Yeah. And there was kind of this interesting, like, I think the other part of my like career journey is that I, I got really into this wanting to tell stories and wanting, like knowing, like I went to college first as a writer because I was like, I am a writer more than I am an artist. And then I went to art school and I spent four years studying visual art and surrounded by visual artists. And I, I don't I, th- I don't think that SVA had a lot of like writing or like narrative, like it was narrative art, but there wasn't a lot about how to write a story. Maybe they might have those classes now or I might just not have taken them. I can't remember, but I, I didn't take any classes like that. And so I really kind of started to think of myself as, as just an artist and not a writer anymore. And so I did a lot of projects. I did a webcomic with a friend where he wrote it and I drew it. I did this book where Sharon Shin wrote the book and I drew it. And I kind of was like thinking that I didn't have the skill to write my own books. And at a certain point, like, you know, I think a lot of times like career growth and art growth is motivated by frustration. And at a certain point I was like, man, I keep drawing these things that I'm like not like, like the stories are great, but I maybe I'm not like, like there's stuff in it that I don't want to draw. Like there's like cityscapes and robot battles and like stuff where I'm just like, I, this is not what I'm interested in drawing. It's not what I'm good at drawing. Um, I am not having fun drawing it and drawing is very hard. So like it should be fun. And so then I started kind of leaning back towards like, maybe I could write my own stories. Maybe I could, you know, maybe like maybe I don't need to like have some like magical thing that will allow me to be a writer. Like I can write my own stories and draw them too. And that was kind of, that was a bit of a, an arc for me. Like that took me a while because for a couple of years after graduating school, I really did just illustrate other people's projects. I feel like now I'm in a phase in my life where I'm like, drawing is getting harder. I like can't, can't be drawing all the time. Like physically, it's just painful. And so I'm like, I'm starting to write more both like for graphic novels and for TV. And it's, it's funny to have that kind of cycle of like writing and art and ping-ponging between them a little bit. If you're enjoying my chat with today's guests and want to see the conversation, which includes visuals of the books we reference, check out studiojjk.com forward slash origin stories. I recorded this talk via Switcher Studio. Switcher Studio is a simple and powerful iOS app that makes your live video feeds look like a professionally produced piece. Your iPad becomes like the production control room as you switch between your iPhone camera, which acts as a webcam, your remote guests, and any pre-recorded video or visuals you want to bring on screen. I would like to thank Switcher Studio for sponsoring this podcast. And as a thank you to you for listening, you may use code STUDIOJJK at switcherstudio.com to receive a free month of the service. Yeah, I mean, I think that especially when one is trained as an artist and you're coming up, you kind of think you have to be just like one thing because you get a degree. You get a degree in comics, so you're going to draw comics. I have a degree in illustration. So the first iteration of my website was illustration by Jared Krasowska, you know, mm-hmm. not even books or, or, or stories by me. And when you are illustrating other people's work, I think you are going to very quickly realize if you're an author or not, depending on your enjoyment level of the experience. Yeah. One of the most magical things that an author can do is make you feel like the character is your best friend. And I've told you this several times. I'm going to say it now on the podcast. Aster, I feel like I know him. I feel like we're best friends. 
I just adore all of the characters in Witch Boy. Correct me if I'm wrong, but Witch Boy was the first trade book, traditionally published book that for which you are author and illustrator. Yes. Tell us about it, because I I adore these books. I oh, I'm spotting them. So much. I I so I want to live there. I want to. <laughs> it's like, does Aster think of me as much as I think of him? <laughs> I love I love these kids so much. I had to. <laughs> I was on a panel once, where I asked the other people, like, "Do you feel bad when you write sad things happening to your characters?" And everyone was like, "What are you talking about?" I was like, "I just feel bad. I feel bad for Astor." Like, well, what? clearly get through this panel with a bunch of heartless <laughs> authors. <laughs> oh my god! No, it's just different, different, different philosophies. <laughs> like. Yeah. So yeah, which boy really was, you know, it was, I, I wrote it when I was quite young. I, it's, it's so funny because it's, it, I mean, it obviously is a queer book and like, I'm a queer author and it has been like, it has like kind of like grown to have this place in queer kid literature, but I wrote it before I was out. I wrote it before I was really connected to that community. And, and so in a way, like there's, there's parts of it where that I look at it, I'm like, oh, I would change this or that. But then I'm also like, it, it is this very pure work. Like it really came from from my insides. But yeah, I I had been drawing a lot of just just a lot of other people's stories. And I sort of sat down and was like, what do I want to draw? And I wanted to draw a forest. I wanted to draw kids running around. I wanted to draw people doing magic spells. The magic in the witch boy is a little bit inspired by like a magic system that we had at my LARP camp. And so there's sort of like pulling from those aesthetics that were like really inspiring to me and that kind of were just like you know this is this micro community of of kids with foam swords in upstate new york and so it's kind of fun to like pull from those aesthetics and and put that into into a book yeah it just it just came from a very like intuitive place which i think is really cool and i i, I sort of feel this this is my theory i don't know if this checks out i sort of feel like everyone has their first story that you know you've you've spent a lifetime You've grown up, you like know what books you love, you know what movies you love. And when you finally kind of like have the skills to sit down and make your first big story, it just pours out of you. And it, it's very instinctive and you don't necessarily know the best way to craft it or like what to be careful of or what to be afraid of yet. You just make it. And so I, I feel I feel very I feel very protective and precious of this book because I I do feel like it was like the first story and it just really it came from this really, really like vulnerable place for me. Wow. I, well, I did not know that story, the backstory. And and it's wild to think of how, you know, like your own life and your personal life sort of mirrored this character and, and, and his discovery of his magic and, and what he was capable of and bucking gender norms to, to be true to himself. I mean, you had me on the edge of my seat of what was going to happen and were they going to win? And, and so many, so many small details of just the gestures, like the body language that you put into these characters to both let queer kids be seen and let queer kids be, you know, the hero of the story. And it's a story for, for all kids and for all readers. You know, I know that you made three and that's the story, uh, but I hope, I hope we get to live <laughs> in that world in some capacity. Somehow, oh, man. Mm-hmm. Oh, I just, I'll I see. Did. We'll see. Yeah, <laughs> Thank I know. you. That's Thank you so much. I know. I just love that character. And who knows? Who knows? Maybe in like 40 years, you'll be like, I know, I know what I can do. I know what I can do. Because that's the one thing, too, is that 
it's wonderful when you can create something that is as iconic as as a witch boy. And I do think witch boy is iconic. But at the same time, you're a creative person with so many ideas that you don't necessarily want to be known for just this one thing, right? So, and you get, like I said, like you did it, it's wonderful. You're doing other things. Someday you can come back to it, right? I mean, you also gave us another beautiful, fantastical story that is also a story with queer characters in The Girl from the Sea, which is beautiful story, beautiful art. It, it reminded me of like a modern day fairy tale. So, so The Girl from the Sea was your first big like post Witch Boy project. What was that like for you? Oh, it was it was so fun. This book was such a delight. Um, and again, it's, you know, it's, it's funny. I think I've been thinking a lot about like the ways we pull from our lives to tell stories and how so often I think that always happens best when it is like, so like in the witch boy, like Aster, when he's upset, he like runs into the forest. And like, for me, that was what I did whenever I was, I was upset as a kid. And so I'm like, this is the most normal thing. Everyone does this. And now when I, I read it with like a little bit more context, I'm like, that is like a more specific thing than I realized. And so there's something so fun about telling these stories that come from your heart and then just like once they're almost out there in the world as a book you start to realize how specific they are and how unique they are to you but yeah the girl from the sea my family and I went up to Nova Scotia a lot when I was a kid to the island that's in the book that Morgan lives on in the book and it was incredibly beautiful and I was like like for most of my childhood I was really lonely and always kind of imagined meeting meeting someone in this way and having some sort of like mystical magical friends or perhaps more than a friend and there was something very freeing about being up there I didn't have any friends I was like in a different country from where I went to school and everything and so I would just like Nova Scotia Canada so I would just like I don't know walk around and get to be fully myself even though it was very lonely it was a very big time for me to like sort of figure out who I was and so I think that parts of that are in this book and I it is it's sort of structured like a fairy tale and it's structured a bit like a modern romance and kind of like a modern like teen drama. Um, but yeah, the, the heart of it again is is this feeling that I felt very strongly when I was Morgan's age, which was like feeling kind of lost and feeling kind of like I was waiting for something bigger to happen and just longing for longing for a change. And and this book is kind of about what if that change actually happens and what if it was the changes in the form of this magical girl who sometimes is a girl and sometimes is a seal so so yeah this is this is I'm, I'm very proud of this book I, this was like it was so fun to work on and this one I I wrote it a while ago and then I was working in animation and uh it's really hard for me to kind of do do both at once they're just like very different parts of my brain so I I had to put off drawing it for a bit and then when the pandemic hit and I realized like my deadline was just around the corner I was like oh I can just sit down and like fully lose myself in this world and like fully, fully enter Morgan and Kelty's world and, you know, go back to this nostalgic setting that I, I wish I was at right now instead of like in my little, little office. And yeah, it was, it was a, it was a really, really like lovely escapist story. Yeah. I think this one is very much just like a wish fulfillment story. Yeah. So I think, I think all of my work is in some way or another, like kind of trying to fulfill very specific wishes, especially queer kids wishes and lonely kids and weird kids like what what do you wish for what do you dream for and, you know and i think a big part of like a common theme i get from this not just even just this podcast just a lifetime of befriending people who who make comics and stories for for young people i think that we're all like making books for the kids that we were like you know imagine yeah. being able to 
jump into a time machine and hand your book to younger you. And while that's impossible, you know, what you're doing is you're, you're helping those kids today to have those books yeah. and you offer such powerful reputation that helps kids start to sort themselves out. I know I've seen it firsthand in my house and, and we've talked about this offline, how important your work has been to my eldest and her understanding herself some more. So like, I'll be eternally yeah. grateful for you in my role as father. And oh my God, you're going to make me cry. <laughs> oh, it's <so> funny. <laughs> no, it's so true. And, and, and you never know that. We never know that when we are in our own little headspace and we are thinking about deadlines, which are so stressful, the overwhelming nature of, of making the comics, of drawing all of those pictures and coordinating with the colors, unless we're coloring them ourselves, too, sometimes, which is even more work. So you mentioned animation, and I, and I want to touch about, on that just a little bit before we go, because I've written for animation some, but I really, and you have way more experience writing for animation than I do. I'm interested in knowing what you see as the similarities and the stark differences between writing for animation and writing for graphic novels. Because I bet we have a lot of listeners who are trying to figure out, you know, where they want to take these, these skills of theirs. Yeah. Yeah. It, it is. It's really interesting. They're similar in some ways because they are visual mediums. And so having an understanding of how images tie into words, it's kind of funny. You'd expect that all animation writers would have a visual background, but they don't, which is fine. Like there's a lot of wonderful animation writers who, who are not visual artists. But I think even if you can't draw, understanding the power of images and understanding like the thing that I do on every script is like, whether it's for comics or for animation, I will write the script. And then as it starts to go to images, I'm like, oh, we can cut this line and we can cut this line and we can cut this whole scene. Like I realize that I don't, I never need as much dialogue as I thought because the images are just so powerful. They serve to tell the story. Something that you could spend a paragraph or a page in final draft, the script writing program, sort of trying to describe, you can just get across in one single image. And so that's, that's really powerful. And I think having that respect for images and for visual storytelling has, has really helped me in TV writing. But yeah, they are really different. TV writing, it's very, you know, you're either writing an 11-minute episode or a 22-minute episode. There are built-in kind of breaks that are sort of partially set to like commercial breaks. Like it's very kind of, there's a format that is a lot more specific than graphic novels. So for me, graphic novels always feel a lot more free. I feel like I can really tell the kind of story I want. I can be a little bit more subtle. Animation writing, you often do have to really hit the nail on the head. That is like kind of like a, an expectation from executives that you will like be really, really clear and like the character will be like, and here is the lesson. And you can find ways to convert that and you can find ways to do that cleverly. But you do have to be a little bit more kind of kind of direct. Graphic novels can be a little bit more subtle. They can, they hold up to rereading. They hold up to going back and finding all these different themes in it that you missed on your first read. And so I really love that. Graphic novels are also, it's the work of just you or maybe you and a small team, like maybe a letterer and a colorer and an editor and art director, even so that's still a really small team. And so it is this very focused thing. You get to tell exactly the story you want to tell. That is like the number one advice I always give to people who want to make comics is that if you are going to draw an entire book, it needs to be the story that you want to tell. It needs to be something that you feel really, really deeply about and that you are really excited about because otherwise it's just too much work. It's not worth it. And animation is this huge process. 
as a writer, you're sort of at the very front end of the process and you write it and then it gets storyboarded and timed out and voice acted and designed and then it gets animated and it goes through all these iterations and changes so much. So like, I, I think I think a lot of times when people kind of come into, into animation writing, they don't realize like the script that you write, like sometimes every single word will change. Every single line of dialogue will be different by the time it is on TV. And that can feel a little bit, you'd be like, oh, my, my writing. But like if the core of it is there and if you made a solid story that made sense and there's a theme and a message and the plot points hit, like if, if those are the same as what you wrote, then like you did a really good job. So yeah, yeah. Animation writing is just this much more collaborative process. And I think in that process, you also have to make room for other people. So whereas for me, a graphic novel can be a little bit more of this really specific like auteur kind of medium where you get to tell exactly the story you want to. Animation is a little bit more like how do, as a writer especially, how do I find a really solid story? And then how do I leave room for the storyboard artists to build on it and the voice actors to improvise in it and to find all these little character moments and little jokes and pull out themes. Being open to that is what makes really good animation writing, in, in my opinion. And that is, it's its own process. It's its own skill. And it's really exciting in its own way because then you started something and then, you know, a year later, because animation takes forever or over a year, you get to see this like finished episode and it is different and it is so much more alive. And that's really cool in its own way too. It goes through this like beautiful transformation process. So, so yeah, I like them both for different reasons. I think comics will always have the place in my heart where if I have a really personal story, I'm going to go to comics to tell it because I know that I can tell it there the most truthfully and the most authentically, and I can have the most control over how it is made. But animation writing is really fun. And you can tell these just like really exciting, big stories. <laughs> Molly, thank you so much for being so generous with your time today. I really appreciate it. I know the listeners really appreciate it. And I can't wait to see what we're going to see from you on the screen. And I certainly hope we get to see more of your work in print as well. So thank you to Molly for joining us. And thank you for listening. Well, that was today's origin story. Thank you for listening. If you're interested in picking up some of my guest books and you'd like to order online while supporting a human with a dream, head to studiojjk.com forward slash origin stories for a link to High Five Books, a wonderful sponsor of the show. Until next time, you may find me via at Studio JJK across all social networks.